The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com um, okay, so Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 28 to 29, is what we're going to be focusing in on uh, today. Okay, verse 28 to 29. Uh, while you're turning there, there was a sign that was uh, shown in a textile mill, and it read this, when your thread becomes tangled, call the foreman. And a young woman was new on the job, and her thread had become tangled, and she thought, I'll just straighten this out myself. She tried, but the situation only got worse. Finally, she called the foreman. She said, I did the best that I could. And the foreman said, no, you didn't. To do the best, you should have called me. Striking is this message. To do the best, you should have called me. In our current individualistic culture, individualistic, hedonistic, our self-absorbed society, let's say, getting help is kind of a weird dynamic today. You know, because people will say things like, you know, oftentimes what you need to do is you need to call for help. You need to ask somebody for help. And for some reason, in our minds, it's fulfilled with all kinds of scenarios, outcomes, pressures, confusion. We just have a difficult time when it comes to asking for help. It's a very weird dynamic. Asking for help is a hard thing for a lot of people today because there's so much wrapped up in it. You know, so much. I'm not going to name all of it, but let me just give you some. Like, first of all, it might feel like if I ask for help, it's going to hurt my self-esteem. Why? Because asking for help is kind of like you're admitting that you can't do it. And others might think less of you because you're asking for help, because other opportunities, advancement, achievement, self-satisfaction, our pride will be affected if somebody has to help us out. So for many people, asking for help is too humiliating. It's too belittling. Reminding me of times when I was young and, and, and my fam- some of my family members would use the term hopeless. I don't want them calling me hopeless. It's also having to admit that someone is better than you and that someone might m- know more than you. Whew, that's a tough one in our society today. Maybe for some of us, we don't want to ask for help because... No one's going to help. I, I'm just afraid I'm going to ask and people are going to say no and I'm, I'm going to look like an, an idiot that nobody wants to help me and everyone's going to make fun of me because the, I'm going to be the person that people don't want to help. Because people are just too busy today. They always got something to do. They've got other priorities or some people, they just don't care. And many times that's true. Many times that's true. But for others... They don't want to help because they say that when I help these individuals, they take advantage of me. They are irresponsible. And now they need me to bail them out of their own mess. They're not thankful. They're not grateful for all I've done for them. Shane, bro, when they call, they always ask me like this. They call me on the phone. Hey, Shane, how you doing? Like, I'm fine. And they go, so what are you doing Saturday afternoon? Are you busy? And they go, well, dude, I don't know how to answer that anymore these days. 
How do you answer that these days? So you know what I say now? I say, well, it depends. And then they say, depends on what? It depends on what you're going to ask me to do. (laughs) See, the reality is, is many times people really do want to help. But people don't like bailing people out. Ooh. People want to help, but they don't want to bail people out. Think about this now. My uncle used to tell me all the time, this, is, this, is, this rang true. I, some of you have probably heard this before because I've heard somebody say this before. But my uncle used to say this all the time when I asked him for help. Shane, a lack of preparation on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. He used to say that all the time. He used to drive me nuts. I'd be like, Uncle, can you help me out? And he'd be like, Shane, a lack of preparation. And just walk. <laughs> you don't even want to hear it, right? A lack of preparation. Because I just I had that feeling like he loved saying that. Like this was his moment, right? It was like, this is the reason why I'm here on this earth. To say this. <laughs> we got to get this. This is really important. Many times people do want to help, but they don't want to bail us out. Because it seems like a lot of times when people are asking for help today, it's not because they need help to get something done. It's they need somebody to help them mess up or help them with the mess they got themselves into. Many times that's why we ask. Many times we don't ask for help. And when we we ask, actually, to be bailed out, we are asking to be rescued. Now, there are times in life when we got to get help. I mean, just as as a Christian, there are times when we just got to get help. Sometimes it's too important for you to do this on your own. Sometimes we've got to get a sober view of ourselves and we've got to recognize our shortcomings and that we cannot do it on our own. I have always said... I always said, even, even when I came here, I think even when I came here and I'm meeting with the pastoral search committee, um, I, I always say this. Uh, I, you know, I, I was, so I, I, this is the reason why I felt like I was put on this earth, was to say this. Well, Shane, what, what do you think is your best uh, quality coming to, to be the pastor of the church? And I think if I remember right, I said, because I'm smart. Flat out came out and told you guys, I'm smart. And so we are like, hmm, okay. This is an interesting one. Because it said, I'm smart enough to know that I'm not smart enough to know everything. We need help. We need help sometimes. So I need help. You need help. But what happens is, is we want to keep our distorted self-respect that we have influencing us from our culture. We push to do it on our own. We have too much pride to ask for help. We have too much independence to put on ourselves. And we don't want to put ourselves in a place of dependence. And especially as Christians, we cannot be like this. Because we need to get help from God. It's way too important for us to do all that God has called us to do, it's too much. Because God doesn't just want us to do it, He wants us to do it well. And in order for us to do it well, we need His help. 
I mean, it, it, it reminds me. I remember a time when, when Scott, I don't know why this one is really vivid. I, I think all my kids did this, but Scott, was, it was really vivid for me. Scott, when he was young, he was always pretty adamant about wanting to do things on his own. He got to that age, I don't know if you guys remember that age with your children where this, this is time for, for him to be a big boy. I, I'm a big boy now. And I, and I hear it's like this for many children, but they want to tie their shoes themselves. Right? It's like, stay away, get away. I know how to tie my shoes. I'm going to tie it. And it's really cute, you know, watching them tie the, the shoes. You know, and then Scott is over there sitting down, you know, tying his shoes, getting this all ready, and making the loop and doing all this stuff. And it's cute. Right? Family, it's cute. Parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. It's cute until you're running late. <laughs> right? It's cute until you are running late. And it's time. You know what? I, can't, I don't have time for this, Scott. Grab the foot, and he's kicking his feet. I can do this myself. I know you can do this. I can do it myself. I know you can do it yourself. And then the other thing, too, it's not even that. It's also like when you're running late, and you got to go somewhere, and you're going to be busy, the last thing you want is to keep telling him to tie his shoes because he doesn't tie it right, and it keeps coming undone. And then you try to I gotta tie your shoes. So you want to try, ah, I can do it myself. Sometimes we can do it. But we can't do it in a certain way. And we can't do it in a certain amount of time. So ultimately, we can't do it. And when it comes to God, it's the same thing. We want so badly. We want our independence. This has been true since the fall. Man has been wanting their independence from God. Been true since the fall. We want to know what it is to be good and evil. We want to have that so we can make a decision as to what's right and wrong for our own lives. Or we want to do it on our own because we so badly want to be able to stand worthy and, deser and deserving before God because of our own efforts. Now, come on, this is, this is true for a lot of us. We want to be able to do a lot of things so that way when I go to heaven, I can stand there and say, God, I'm worthy to be let in. It's just the way our, it's the way our culture is. You got to have things to get in. You ever try walking into a movie theater without a ticket? <laughs> How many of y'all got into a movie theater without a ticket before? Don't, don't answer that. Deep down inside, family, it's almost like we feel like we want to or need to deserve heaven. So we don't ask for help. And here's the key. We don't depend on God to help us do what we need to do. Instead, we ask God to bail us out of mistakes and things that we have done, especially when we're disobedient to his word. We want to ask God for help. When we disobey his word and we don't do things the way he was, and now we're in trouble, now we get on our knees and we start to pray. We don't ask God for help. We ask him to bail us out. 
Proverbs 19, verse 3. Proverbs 19, 3. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they're angry at the, at the Lord. Why? We ruin our lives because of our own foolishness, and we're mad at God because he didn't stop us from doing it, or he didn't make it right when I asked him to. We need him to bail us out, and when he does not, we get mad at him. We blame him. We accuse him. This is not that God will not rescue us. Of course God will rescue us. God rescued us when he died on the cross to save us from our sins. He does totally does that. But people, sometimes God is not going to rescue us because we got to learn. We've got to learn. Oh, I mean, what do you mean learn? I mean, the proverb says it really clear. It says that angry people must pay the price. Do you guys know which one I'm talking about? Angry people must pay the price. If you rescue them, you will have to do it again. That's what the proverb says. Angry people must pay the price. Because if you rescue them, you're going to do it again. We don't learn. We've got to learn from these types of things. But Shane, we just can't live the life God wants me to. Have you read the Bible lately? What God wants me to do, it's impossible, man. There's things that he wants me to do, it's just impossible. We can't live the way he wants me to live. It's way too hard. Loving my enemies? Give me a break. Taking up my cross? Come on. Having to go to church every single week? Come on. Reading my Bible. Praying every single day. Raising my kids with standards in this culture? Stand against the flow of culture? Give to those who don't deserve it? I'm supposed to turn the other cheek? Deny things that give me pleasure? I'm supposed to abstain from the lust that the world provides? How in the world does God expect me to do this? What God is asking me to do is impossible. Absolutely. Absolutely. He is ab- you are absolutely right. Why does he ask this stuff of me then, Shane? I am way too weak to do it. Yeah. Did you know that because it's when we are weak, then we are strong. God expects so much because he never intended for us to do it alone. He always, from the beginning, has intended to help us with the energy of Christ working within us. So let's check this out. First Colossians, or first Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 to 29. You know, I do that sometimes, first Colossians, but that's not wrong, right? If I said second Colossians, it would be wrong. There is only one Colossians, so if I say first Colossians, anyway. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 to 29. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That is why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. We thank you for its light. And God, I pray that you continue to help us to grow in grace and knowledge and live lives worthy of the calling. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is how Paul describes what he means when he says, Him we proclaim. 
And second, last thing, we're going to see the real motivation and energy and where it comes from to enable Paul to do all he has done for the kingdom because his grace is enough. His grace is enough for us. Thesis statement today is this. Though sin and the pattern of this world and the false teachers cause us to lose confidence in the sufficiency of Christ in all of life, it is the truth of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to see the beauty and wonder of what it means for the grace of Christ to be sufficient for us. So point number one, in him we proclaim. Warning and teaching to present perfection. So Paul is essentially saying here that he proclaims Christ and he tells us how he does it. How does he proclaim Christ? He proclaims Christ by doing two things. By warning us, admonishing us is what some of your translations will say. Warning us. But even if it is, if you use admonish, that's fine. It's a great translation, but it's admonishing in the sense of warning. Okay, So he's warning us. And he's teaching us. So he does. How is he proclaiming Christ? He's warning us and he's teaching us. Really sound, should sound familiar to you guys. This is what happens here at Central Baptist Church. We're warned and we're taught. Because Christ is being proclaimed. So remember that Paul and Timothy, right now they're defending the ministry of the Apostle Paul against those in the church in Colossae who's causing many to fall away and to give up on their complete confidence in Christ. Remember, they're talking about the fullness. You gotta receive the fullness. Let me teach you guys how you're supposed to live life to its fullest. How to to do this. Christ is a part of it, but Christ is not all of it. And this is what they're essentially saying. And so they're diminishing the sufficiency of Christ on this. So they want to teach you how to be full, how to live a full life, but it's not just Christ. You got to have Christ. You got to have Judaism. You got to have Eastern philosophy. You got to have uh, uh, Hellenistic philosophy. You got to have, you know, uh, the, the Jewish scriptures. The, you have to have Jew. You have to become a Jew. You know, all of these types of things. There's so many things that, that happens in order for, that they're saying. And they're diminishing the fullness of Christ. So they like to use that word fullness. And so we see that it's causing the, the Christians in Colossae to lose complete confidence in Christ. They're not denying Christ altogether. They're saying Christ is still important in your life. It's important that Christ is still a part of your life. But they are denying that he's all that you need for life. Does that sound familiar today? Oh, we get this a lot today, don't we? They're not saying that Christ isn't an authority. They're just saying that he's not the only authority. There's other authorities in the universe. There's other things in the universe. Some of them will outright deny it and say that, hey, no, Christ is, he is an authority, but he's not the authority. He's still under the authority. They're not throwing Christ out altogether, but they're diminishing Christ. And let me just say this, family. One of the things that Paul is making abundantly clear here, to diminish Christ is just as bad as throwing him out altogether. You say, well, at least I, I, at least I got Christ partly in my life. He's not all of my life, but he's part of my life. You may as well just throw him all, all the way out because you're just as guilty. It's just as bad to do that. 
it, it may be okay to, to say, well, you know, with human beings that it's okay. But to, minute, to diminish Christ in any way is to diminish the living God. And to diminish the living God in any way is to offend him in the worst way. We got to get that. So what Paul is saying is Christ is not only supreme, he's also sufficient, he's enough. And there is no substitute. There's nothing else. You can't add to Christ. You can't, you don't need to. And see, family, this is happening today. This is a message that we're getting today. It's so funny. I'm, I'm getting ready for this, but all week last week and all week earlier this week, I was flooded and inundated with this kind of stuff. When it comes, even in modern evangelicalism today, we are not outright denying Christ. We're not, we're not saying that. But many of us today, when you listen to some of the things we hear from our pulpits today, it's, it's in a way subtly saying that yes, Christ is important, but he's not enough. We still need more. We still got to add more. There's still more that we need. If we want to ex experience the fullness of life and live the life and live life to its fullest, then we've got to have other things that the world has to offer in order for us to be truly complete. Now they're not saying it with these words, but essentially this is what's being said. It's what's being taught. And and one guy actually even said this. I know that the Bible says that this is this is what we need. But it's a different time. It's a different place. And it's not relative to what we're experiencing today. So we need more than just the Bible. Literally said that. Wow. And it's, and it's, it's, it's to thunderous applause. That was the other thing that I was ab absolutely ashamed of. Is the thousands of people at the church are applauding saying, yeah, good job. Good job? Really? I was reading a, a quote today just uh, when I was, uh, you know, praying before I, I came and, and I, you know, just happened to flip through Facebook today and I saw a quote from Paul Washer and he said something that I thought was absolutely astounding, absolutely extraordinary. He says that Jesus coming back, he says that we think that the people who should be afraid are the crooked politicians that have ruined everybody's lives. And he said, no. He said the people that should be afraid are those pastors who build huge churches on unconverted people. Amen. Who said amen? Thank you. That hit me. You're build, building huge churches on unconverted people. We should be ashamed of ourselves, family. Christ is being diminished, diminished so much that unconverted people could come to your church and want to come back next week. Do we not see a problem with that? What are you saying? What are you saying if that's happening? To say that Christ is not fully supreme is indeed offending God. To say that Christ is not enough is indeed offending God. Even if you don't deny him outright, to diminish him in any way denies him outright. Do not be deceived today, family. To say that Christ is not enough is to say that Christ is not giving us what we really need. And if you need something that Christ doesn't provide, you probably don't need it. Let me also say this. You probably don't want it either. Many will say that the Bible 
and one individual said that this week. The Bible is just really bad for self-esteem. Whoa, you're only now coming to this conclusion? <laughs> he said, the Bible's really bad for self-esteem. We got to look elsewhere to find help in this area. So that's why he was saying that the Bible's not sufficient. It's not enough, he says, because it's bad for self-esteem. So we need to find help for self-esteem other places. Which, to me, I thought this was really interesting. Why, where are you getting this idea that self-esteem is something that we're supposed to have? Right? It's like, this is what we're supposed to have. The Bible doesn't help us do this, so we got to find something to help us with that. Well, if the Bible's not helping us with this, maybe it's because the Bible is saying it's not something we're supposed to have. It's absolutely extraordinary, amazing. I'm just astounded with what we're hearing out there now. Yet the Bible teaches... And the Bible teaches us one thing that I think is really important that goes contrary to this. Did you know that the Bible actually teaches us that we're supposed to esteem others more than we esteem ourselves? We're actually getting the opposite, right? It's what we're hearing. Let me say this. I read a quote from a Christian life coach this week. And I quote. It's what she said. True fulfillment... I thought that was shocking right there. They're using the term fullness, just like the the teachers back in Colossae, talking about fulfillment, fullness. True fulfillment, true fulfillment in life does not happen when you become some ideal person different from yourself. Happiness and joy comes when you become comfortable expressing who you really are at your core. This is from a life coach, a Christian life coach. This is what they said. Number one, fullness in life doesn't happen when you become some ideal person different than yourself. Happiness and joy comes when you become comfortable expressing who you really are at your core. Family, this is a lie. This is not true. This is so messed up. I can't even tell you how messed up this is. This is so messed up. And this is the kind of stuff that's being proclaimed from, proclaimed from the pulpits all across our country today. This is the message from the world. It's not a message from Christ. This is so contrary to what the Bible teaches. If you are a Christian today, let me say this. If you are a Christian today, she says, life does not happen when you become, a fullness of life doesn't happen when you become some ideal person different from yourself. If you are a Christian today, you are called and you are commanded to become an ideal person that's different from yourself. It's called, you need to not be yourself, you need to be like Christ. We're commanded to be somebody different. We're commanded to do that. We're supposed to be like Christ. And an ideal person? (laughs) Absolutely. Can't get much better than that. 
We're commanded to be like Christ. And it says here that we're supposed to become comfortable expressing who we really are at the core. Do you realize that the Bible commands us not to express who we really are at the core? Why? Because we are by nature children of wrath and the heart is most deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Do not do this. The Bible is telling you not to be that. Oh, I just got to express what's deep inside of me. Do not express what's deep inside of you. The Bible commands us not to express what's deep inside of us. How many times does the Proverbs tell us to keep our mouths shut? See, this is why I get in trouble. This is why people are like, I don't want to go to Shane's church. There's too much truth coming out of that. Doesn't it not tell us? Just be quiet. When you keep your when you open your mouth and you let that sucker flow, that's when you get in trouble. We don't express what's what we really are at the core. We're not called to express our authentic selves. Family, we're called to express Christ. When I expressed, I don't want them to see what's truly in me. I want them to see what I truly worship, and that's Christ and Christ alone. I want to reflect his glory, not reflect an example, not reflect the character, not reflect an authentic individual. I want to reflect the glory of Christ. When they see me, they see our Lord. But see, what happens is we sit back and we let this stuff happen. We sit back, we let this stuff happen, and we wonder why we got all this okie-dokie-wokey stuff <laughs> happening in the church. Why is this happening? Why do you think? Because I'll tell you right now, Christ is being diminished in our culture today. He is not seen as supreme, and he is not seen as sufficient And that's why these things are happening. We can't diminish Christ in any way. Not his supremacy, not his sufficiency. He is more than enough. And if all you got is Christ, then you got all that you need. The Bible tells us clear. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything not some things, everything we need for godly living. We have received all of this by his coming, by coming to know him, the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Why do we have everything? Because we know him. That's why. Come on, he's more than sufficient for us. He's more than enough. Man, Shane, that's some pretty hard stuff you're giving us right now. Yeah, I did this on purpose to illustrate the methods used by Paul the Apostle when he said, Him we proclaim. He does this by warning us and teaching us. And the scriptures are full of warnings and full of teaching in all wisdom. And this is an important designation for what we do here at Central. What we say is our core values here at Central. What we talk about as elders and deacons, we get together, we talk about our core values. These things are important. We have to warn. That's what the Bible tells us to do. We have to teach. Because that's what the Bible tells us to. And Paul says is these two things, 
make up what he means when he says, him we proclaim. So how can you proclaim Christ if you're not warning people? How can you proclaim Christ if you're not teaching? I mean, how can you be a disciple of Christ? Because go ye therefore into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy, and Holy Spirit, and maybe uh, uh, life coach them everything that I have taught you? No, no, no. He, I don't think he said life coach them into... I think what he said is teaching them some of the things I've commanded you. How can you just become a disciple if you're not taught and teach? Why, why is this important? This is super important for us today because sometimes um, the warnings and teaching, sometimes these things are not received. Sometimes I actually have what I refer to as the privilege of being able to talk to individuals who came to visit Central Baptist Church and were horrified and said, I'm never coming back to that church again. And then I have the privilege of being able to have a conversation with this individual and not have this individual lie to me. Why, why aren't you coming back? Well, it's a little far. You live five minutes away. It's also, you know, I, I'm allergic to communion. Well, you know, we have... You know, we have, uh, what do you call that? The gluten-free, we have gluten-free bread. Well, I'm allergic to grape juice. We can give you wine if you want. <laughs> some of you guys got that, some of you didn't. Okay. <laughs> this is the other reason why I get in trouble. Uh, Sometimes they tell me the truth. And you know what? Sometimes it's so funny. It's almost as if, in, a, in, in so many words, it's almost as if they're saying two really glaring things. I don't like the warnings. And I don't like being taught all that doctrine stuff. It's almost like they're coming out and saying that. Essentially, that's what, that, that's what they're saying that they don't want. They, they don't want that. They don't want the warnings. We don't, I don't want to be told that I'm a sinner. I don't want to be told all of these things. I don't want any of this kind of stuff. And I don't want people to talk. Do you know why that is? Because essentially, there is one thing that's really clear and really apparent, especially from our culture's uh, affinity to the teachings of Nietzsche and other existential philosophers, right? The, here is the one thing that we say in our culture today. We don't like warnings. Do you know why? Because we don't like people telling us what to do. And for sure, not some pastor up there. I, I don't want him telling me what to do at all. Nobody in authority. If you're an authority person, you're already the enemy. I definitely don't want to do anything you tell me to do. So if you warn me, it's only probably because you're trying to get my money. You guys, do you guys see my clothes? You know? It's not because I'm trying to get you money, that's for sure. Get your money. But we don't want people telling us what to do. And do you know why we don't like teaching? Because we don't like people telling me. I don't like people telling me what to believe. I don't want you telling me what to do, and I don't want you telling me what to believe. That's why we don't like that. 
That's why we just, by nature, because of the influence of our culture, we reject the warnings. Don't tell me what to do. Reject the teachings. Don't tell me what to believe, especially if you're telling me something that I don't agree with. If you're telling me to believe something that I don't agree with, I'm definitely not listening to that. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to believe. This is what scripture communicates. This is what scripture means. This is what Paul is saying. It means to proclaim him and how we are going to be presented to the Lord in perfection because we as disciples of Christ will heed the warnings of God and we will obey and follow his teachings. It's our warning today. Heed the warnings of the Lord. It's there, it's real, and the threats are very real. Okay, point number two, his energy. This is, this is, this is really where we were at here. Let's focus in on this. Not to be done on our own. And for Paul, to this, to a culture like his and a culture like ours, this is why I say it, the book of Colossians is very timely. This is, this is like the most, this is the perfect time in our culture today to preach the book of Colossians. The culture like his, culture like ours, it's not easy to minister in our culture today. It's not. I mean, they're even, they're even writing books about how Christianity, in a lot of ways, has become the minority. Do you guys know that? They're actually having to re, redo a lot of missions work. Uh, missions work in our culture today, they're having to refocus our, uh, what, we're, what we're doing, our approach, how we're supposed to operate, how we're supposed to talk to individuals in our culture today. Because they're essentially saying that Christianity is not the majority anymore. It's just not. And they said, you know what it's more like? If you're a Christian today, it's more like we're in Babylon than we are in Jerusalem amazing and then you think about this stuff so a lot of things are changed so our culture is very different it's very it's changed very so much there's a huge influence that's happening upon us that's very non-christian so watch this so paul and timothy they're struggling it's not easy to do what it is that they're doing that christian today it's not easy to be a christian today if it is easy for you as a christian today then you're probably doing something wrong it's hard to be a christian today and they continue to toil. They continue to work. And they do this. And here's the key word. They do this depending. Depending on what? Depending on God. Depending on God. But this is a hard one for us. If we're honest today, a lot of times, you know, when we're going through some real problems, <laughs> remember, sometimes you have some real problems, real things happening in your lives, and, and you know, boom, you just, just one thing after another, trial, tribulation, life, just bad, just all this stuff is bad, and then here's this Christian walking up to you with a big smile on their face, and they go, just trust the Lord. In reality, a lot of times that's just like, don't you think I know that? I'm trusting him right now. So much so, this is the reason why I don't punch you in the face right now. Because I'm trusting the Lord. I'm trusting him. Don't tell me I'm not trusting the Lord. I'm trusting the Lord right now. I'm trusting him, depending on him. But what we need to do is what God has called us to do. 
and that is to trust in the Lord and to depend on his energy. And Paul is saying that he depends or that he relies on God and his energy, the energy of Christ to do his ministry to overcome his struggle. All right. One of the most distracting, one of the most deceptive things we hear today, and this is one of the most erroneous teachings, and I guarantee that every single one of you has heard this before. I'm hoping and praying right now that you guys aren't one that teach this. This is one of the worst things. I've heard it my whole life, and I actually heard it this week. People are having a difficult time, having a difficult in life, and people will say this, Shane, do not worry because God never gives you more than you can handle. This is, this is so distracting. This is so, this is so, this is, I just cannot express to you just how awful this is. Like seriously, God will never give you more than you can handle. This is not true. It is wrong. It does not take long in reading the scriptures to find out just how absolutely wrong this is. This is not a scripture. And sometimes they say it as if they're quoting scripture. Thus saith the Lord. God will not give you more than you can handle. It's not a scripture. You are not going to find it in the Bible. It's not a scripture. It's not biblical. It's not, it's not true at all. And it is pervasive. And Christians everywhere say it and everywhere teach it. It is so self-absorbed in self-esteem categories. Because essentially what you're saying is that God won't let you on your own be a failure. And many well-meaning people will actually say that. One person, well-meaning, I, I think that this person is not trying to deceive me. They're, they're really trying to encourage me. But good intentions, right? What do they say? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. It, it's wrong. It's so wrong. God constantly gives us more than we can handle. Many times we find ourselves in situations that are legitimately impossible to handle. We don't have the capacity, the strength, the fortitude, the resources, or the patience to be able to deal with some of these things that God puts before us. We feel the weight of the burdens and tasks just absolutely tearing us down. We experience this in our own lives, and you know what? We read about this in the scriptures. Oh yeah, Moses is going to contend with the most powerful ruler of the most powerful country. And he was supposed to do that on his own. David is going to get into a physical fight with a literal giant. Oh, oh, oh. The disciples are supposed to feed 5,000 plus people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus is looking at them like, ah, just go feed them. Huh? Did you not hear what I said? Did I stutter? Go feed them. I suppose if we cut a tiny little, put it on a plate, I suppose we could do that. Maybe you think that's, 
You know, like God is asking us to do impossible things. Like I tell people all the time, loving your enemy? Oh yeah, we think, we think that that's easy until we actually have to. Then you realize just how hard that is. God, God's asking us to do the impossible and he asks us to do the impossible all the time. God absolutely asks for the impossible. And impossible. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. This is, listen to what he's saying. What Paul's saying. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. He's saying right there, this was beyond what we could endure. God will never give you more than you can handle. Yeah, he obviously wasn't following that when, when Paul and, and, and the disciples were doing what they were doing. It's pretty clear, family, that the Lord will give us tasks that are more than we can handle. God will cause us to endure more than we can handle. This is not a time to teach self-empowerment and self-sufficiency. And this is important for us today. Why? Because God wants us to endure what could kill us, even to the point of dying. They even said, we, we thought we were going to die. That's how bad it is. Well, saying God, has, he, he, we, I've been praying and stuff like this, and you know, we don't have money to buy food. We don't have money to buy this stuff. I mean, seriously. I mean, this is more than I can endure. I, I feel like I'm going to die. Yeah, join the club. Ah, see, you see why people don't, they don't like this. They don't like this. Wait, wait a minute. So God would actually let us get to that point? He let them get to that point? Why would God do that, Shane? Why? Let's read the rest of that verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. In fact, we expected to die. That's how bad it was. So bad, more than they could handle, more than they could do, and, and it was to the point that they were going to die, and he says, in fact, we actually expected to die. We were just flat out, made the decision, we dead. We gone. It's over. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Huge family. Of course God causes us to go through these types of things because it's teaching us something amazing. What's it teaching us? To not rely on ourselves, but to only rely on God. Wow. Do you see what we're missing? Now see why we can't we can't, as Christians today and evangelicals today, why we can't go through any kind of suffering? We can't endure any of these types of things? Because we haven't learned how to not rely on ourselves, rely on other people, to rely on our political party, to rely on, on, on the giving of, of other people that have resources. We don't know how to not do that. That's who we rely on. God is trying to teach us to not rely on ourselves to not rely on the things of the world, but to rely only on God who raises the dead. What does he mean by that? That if the only thing you got is to rely on God, he's got the power to raise the dead. 
he can help you out with whatever it is you're dealing with. My God is able. And because we learn that this is important, that we stop relying on ourselves, they learned what it is to rely on God. A huge piece. We've got to stop relying on ourselves and we've got to learn to rely on God. God wants us to rely on Him in our lives, in our life struggles, even to the point where we are expecting to die. This is why God asks the impossible because He doesn't intend for us to do it alone. The one who has the power to raise the dead will help you even do it for you. And God's serious about this. Shane, how serious is God? God is so serious. You guys remember the story when the Israelites went out to fight and they weren't obedient to God and they lost the battle. Not only did they lose the battle, but they took the ark and they set it before their God. Where is the God of Israel now? Why is that, why is that important? You got to understand something. God wants us to come to this place where we learn to rely on Him and not on ourselves, so much so that He is willing to suffer humiliation for it. Do you realize that? Putting the ark in front of Dagon in victory and the way they were like, yeah, so much for the God of Israel. That's how badly God wants us to learn. Wants us to learn this. Suffer defeat. And even cause another nation to humiliate the people and to humiliate God. Now God, you remember the story, what, what, the ark, what happened to the statue. You know, he, he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll suffer some humiliation, but you know, not for very long. They woke up the next day and saw something very tragic. But that's how serious he is about it. To not rely on ourselves and to rely only on Christ. Only on God. Huge. This is so huge. This is so big for us today. And, and, and with all the stuff that's happening in our culture, it's just causing all this doubt to come upon the God's sufficiency and he is really wanting us to see and to recognize that not just sufficiency, he's sufficient, but there is no substitute. It's Christ, and it's only Christ. Only Christ that we rely on. I suppose this misleading quote that people say about God won't give you more than you can handle I suppose it comes from a misunderstanding. This is what I think anyway. I think it comes from a misunderstanding of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I think it's a misreading of it or mis, mis trans, not translating, but just a misunderstanding of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. You know, maybe that's where this is kind of coming from. But even if it is coming from this, we're missing something super important. Because it says here, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape 
that you may be able to endure it. So if you're taking the scripture and you're trying to say that this is some kind of life coaching experience that can help us with self-empowerment, that we can go through life without dependence on God, then we are sorely mistaken and we are wrong. This is not happening. This scripture is not teaching self-sufficiency at all. It's not. The verse tells us that he, he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. And it's talking about temptation, not you know, suffering and, and tribulations and things that we are going through in life. You know, so if you're, you know, tempted to, I, I don't know whatever we're tempted to do these days, but there's so much temptation. They're tempted to do these things that God won't give you, will allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Meaning that you have the ability to not fall into that sin. But here's the thing. The reason why you have that ability is because God is providing a way out for you. Again, salvation belongs to the Lord. It is God who will do it. And it's absolutely amazing when you look at the battles that the Israelites have fought in the Old Testament. You know, these overwhelming, sweeping battles that take place. It's always God helping. I mean, even the whole thing with Gideon. I don't want any of you guys even having a clue that your strength in numbers had anything to do with this stuff. I, I think 500, that's too much. 400, that's too much. That's still, you guys, at 400, you guys might still think that you guys had something to do with it. He's making it abundantly clear. He's the one. Even to the point, I can't remember directly, just jumped into my mind. Even to that point, remember there was a, there's one battle that sticks out in my mind where he just said, you know what? I want you guys to sit back. He tells the soldiers, sit back, chill. I'll fight this battle for you. That's our God. He wants to be there with us to help us through the impossible. Because you are a disciple of Christ. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple of Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells with you. And this is what's absolutely amazing. God is essentially saying, look, this, this is my people. These are my people. These are people who are called by my name. They're not ordinary. Because of what I'm going to do in their life, the world is going to recognize just how extraordinary you are. But we continue. <laughs> continue not relying on Christ. And again, depending on Christ is not laziness. It's allowing the power of Christ to be made perfect. How many of us want the power of Christ to be made perfect in our lives? I want the power of Christ to be made perfect in my life. I know many of you want the power of Christ to be made perfect in your life. How is the power of Christ made perfect in our lives? It's called weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
The grace of Christ is all we need. Why? Because it means that the power of Christ will rest upon us if we are weak, if we are beaten down, if we are broken down. In utter weakness, the power of Christ, the power that can raise the dead, will be made perfect and it will rest upon us. See, in our culture today, especially our existentialistic, atheistic, philosophy-influenced culture that we have today, it's not about weakness. Man, Nietzsche makes it very, very clear. There is no such thing as weakness. You don't want to have weakness. Weakness is a bad thing. Weakness is actually the thing that caused God to die. Our culture teaches us to be strong. We idolize the strong. We love to see the strong. We love to see the ubermensch, the supermen. Why do you think superhero comic books have been so popular? Why do you think the superhero stuff is always popular? This is what we like. This is what we want. That's what we want to see. I mean, seriously, but what's true? Let's, let's do a movie. How about we all pool our money together? Let's all pool our money together, put it on a plate, and let's, let's produce a movie Let's, let's make a movie here. And we'll make a movie about a guy who actually becomes weak and lives his life in weakness. I don't think many people are going to come watching that. Probably not. But weakness is what Paul is saying he boasts about. I am boasting. I am happy. I am glad in my weakness because when that happens the power of Christ rests upon me that's why his grace is sufficient for me it's the grace of God by which we stand we have life and life more abundant because of Christ and Christ alone he is what we need he is all we need his grace is sufficient but in sin we're led astray we doubt transgress the laws of God, we rebel, we don't heed warnings, we don't tolerate sound teachings, we rest in the arms of the world more than we rest in the arms of the Lord. And because of sin, and Paul said it, when I desire to do good, evil is right there with me. But there is forgiveness for us. Salvation is here, and it is because of the grace of Christ that we can rejoice today because Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners by his stripes we are healed and we can have all the blessings the blessings that Christ gives this is what this is the thing it's, it's like when you look at the gospel and you look at this and you look at what Paul is saying, the Bible, God, he's not calling us to be a hero. He's calling us to be a vessel. A vessel. A vessel of peace. And we can have all the blessings of being his vessel when we become Christians. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so today we struggle. Today we toil. We have much more than we can endure. But we can do it. And we can get through it. Why? 
because, of the, because we depend on the energy of Christ and we pray that it perfectly and powerfully works within us. So that's why at the very beginning, the, the story that I told, why that's so striking. She said, I did the best that I could. I did the best that I could. And essentially, is that what we're saying? I'm sorry, God, I did the best that I could. No. If you were going to do the best that you could, the foreman said, then you should have called me. Family, the best that we can do in this world is not stuff that we do alone. The Bible says that abide in Christ and Christ in us. It's then that we will bear fruit. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.